Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us that Paul must defend this doctrine of justification by faith alone because it is consistent with the Jewish Old Testament scriptures. Today we'll see four more reasons that Paul has to defend this doctrine. Romans chapter 4, and I'd like to read several verses in that chapter. Romans chapter 4, reading from verse number 1. What shall we say then, that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, have found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he have whereof to glory. The word glory, by the way, is the word boast. That's what the word means. But he said, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision, but in circumcision, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of them that believe. So the first reason I think be that circumcised, is addressing that the righteousness the might be imputed and dealing with the objections and trying to clarify also. and giving a practical and example the of circumcision to them that are not because the apostle Paul is concerned to show that who this also is walked with Jewish in the steps Old of that faith of our father writing. Abraham, which he had been yet <clears throat> uncircumcised. For the, the promise that he should I believe be heir of the world is that Paul is concerned to, to show that or to see this is something that is not the law, from Paul's perspective. Paul's purpose in chapter four. Of faith is to show that even in the Old Testament dispensation, this doctrine of justification by faith was there. Uh, in other words, uh, Paul is going to show that the way that God has declared men righteous has always been the same. There is not one gospel for you and one gospel for the Jew. It has always been the same. God has always saved men the same way. But he said, Pastor, how is that possible? How is that possible? We today are saved in accepting Jesus Christ through the seed of Abraham. He has come. We embrace the fact that he has come. That he is Lord and Savior. That he would die for sin. The Jews were saved by believing that the seed would come. That's how they were saved. They weren't saved by law, by circumcision. But the promise of the seed, that the Messiah is coming. They look to the Messiah coming. We look to the Messiah who's already come. We look back. They look forward to it. 
That's how everybody got saved. So there's not one gospel for the Old Testament writers, uh, people in one gospel for us. It's the same gospel. It centers around Christ. Christ is central to this whole lot. And that's why Paul is going to deal with this chapter. And he's going to use Abraham as an exhibit to show that Abraham was saved the same way that you and I are. Now that's an amazing teaching, by the way. Honest to God, that's an amazing thing. But I thank God, I really thank God that we all get saved the same way. Thirdly, I think the Apostle Paul is also in the third case concerned for those Jews who have already embraced the Christian faith. And you remember the Jews are his kindred according to the flesh. They came out of Abraham's, uh, out of Paul's ancestry as it were. And there were Jews who were the first to receive the gospel. A number of them had believed, become converted, had joined the church. But they were struggling. As you and I would struggle. I think all of us by experience know that when a person comes to faith in Christ and become a born again believer, he still retains the old nature. And the other thing about a person is that the habit of thinking that was there prior to being saved, when you get saved, suddenly God doesn't blank that out. You've had developed a habitual way of thinking over the years. If you're 30 or 40, this is your way of thinking. 50, that's your way of thinking. Now you're saved. You have to get your mind reprogrammed. So the problem with the Jews is that even though they're saved, they're still wondering, did we make the right choice? They want to hark back to the old Jewish system. When I was in the States, I went to a church that if I was the pastor, I shook my head throughout the entire service. I was saying, man alive, I, I think they got this thing all wrong. It's a Jewish church. And they're trying to do, they got the chauffeur to the blow in the service. They got four or five ladies dancing. I mean, I mean, really, really dancing in, in circles and blah, 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 blah. I mean, I mean, I am so distracted. I am so distracted because honestly, he got the chauffeur blurring. He got, he, he get up and speak sometime in Hebrew. He got something like a scroll of Moses. I'm saying to myself, is this a New Testament church? But Jews love rituals, boy. They love tradition. And I'm saying, as a Gentile, I'm totally distracted. They need to put aside these things and just preach the clear gospel of Christ. That was the kind of problem these Jews had that were already saved. They had a certain way of thinking. Their, their mindset was so ingrained that even though they were converted, they still had this desire to go back to Judaism and get involved in these, these particular activities. And the Apostle Paul, he wants to help these believers. And he wants to move them into this experience of grace so that they can leave these rituals and traditions, etc. By the way, <clears throat> we have a telling example of how difficult it is or how difficult it was for these Jews to surrender their Jewish heritage. You remember in Galatians chapter 2, Peter comes up to the Galatians church and Peter is socializing with the Gentiles. So they don't eating and having a chat. And then you remember what happened? Some Jews from Jerusalem came up and they started looking at Peter. What are you doing? 
We don't, we Jews don't socialize with the Gentiles. We don't eat with the Gentiles. Now here's Peter an apostle. You ever heard of peer pressure yet? You think only young people got peer pressure? When those Judaizers came up and started putting pressure on Peter, you've got to do something, man. You, you're embarrassing us. That's not the way we operate. So the Bible says, Peter withdrew himself. Withdrew himself. Separated from the Gentiles. In order to please the Jews. But what he wasn't prepared for was a man called Paul. Who went up to Peter. Read it for yourself. Went up right in the face and listen. You are dishonoring the grace of God and what you're doing is wrong. See? Paul completely rebuked Peter. See? Because Paul understood the issue. See? It was what the Gentiles accepted into Christ like the Jew. The answer is yes. He appealed to the gospel of grace. You're dishonoring this gospel of grace. In other words, these barriers have been removed. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's something called the church. See? But if a man like Peter was struggling like that, an apostle, can you imagine these Jews that came into the faith, how they were trying to deal with this whole matter? What do we do? Do we surrender our heritage? Do we hold our heritage? Do we combine both? Do we still need to be circumcised? Do we need to keep the law of Moses? Can we not have Christ and Moses too? Those were the issues that Paul is faced with in this chapter. And he really sincerely wanted to help those young converts from Judaism who had come into the Christian faith. But yet, they were having this mental barrier, this mental problem of trying to decide exactly what needs to be done and how to fit Christianity into the Jewish religion. By the way, I, you may not agree with me. And I know that the missionaries went all over the world and trying to make everybody American. I know that. I know people try to condemn that. But I'm seeing another side that I worry about more than even that. I am seeing a side now where uh, the African Christians, quite frankly, their behavior is almost scandalous as far as I'm concerned in terms of how they, how they dance up and everything. And by the way, a lot of these songs, I don't, I, I don't watch them. <laughs> but there's some of them that come on and clearly what, we're, what Africa is having to is entertainment Christianity. And I think that's a mistake. But what happened with the missionaries, that this, because they were told that they were not to westernize these countries, they have now surrendered. And so that what is happening now is that those cultural aspects are now entering the church. And it's becoming more like an entertainment center. See? So what the West has got, that's exactly the way the African is moving as well. See? And I think that's a mistake. I really do. And I think we will learn to see it's a mistake. Already in the West, a church service it's more about entertainment than it is about preaching. You just got to watch what you see. see. And I think that's the trend that you're going to see. And that's why I said when I went to this Jewish church, I felt that those things didn't belong to the church. I really didn't feel that way. I really feel these things, are, these are things that, that, that you need to get rid of. Focus on the gospel. Focus on Christ. See. Amen. Do you know you have a new identity when you become a Christian? We have an identity crisis in the world where everybody not satisfied with who they are. But you must find your identity in Christ. I must not find my identity in being a part European or part African or part. That's not my identity. My final identity is in Christ. And by the way, that's what brings people to a sense of worth and dignity. We're not against culture. 
There are things in culture that we can embrace as Christians. But there are also aspects of culture that I think Christians should avoid and stay away from. See? Uh, to, to make that decision, of course, is one that is, is quite difficult. But I think that the, the church, uh, in, in order to accommodate uh, this new cultural movement, uh, in, in many ways, uh, has done some injury to the Christian church. As, as, they, as they did, the missionaries did damage as well. I'm not saying they didn't do damage. How can you explain that African wears a suit? Now you tell me how you can explain that one. In that hot part of the world. See? Uh, that's a western dress. See? Now I'm just telling you how it is. I don't like the suit either. You see me I hardly wear a suit. Uh, I only wear a suit when I'm forced to do it. Now I'm not. My brother loves a suit here. So I'm not trying to knock you. Brother, honestly, I have no idea. Not thinking about you. I but I'm just saying for me. But can you imagine... Um, you, Africans dress a certain way. Western people dress a certain way. But what has happened now, the, the whole thing has become so westernized. I have a pastor friend of mine in St. Thomas. If he's in the yard, he got on a suit. If he's going into the town, he got on a suit. If he's coming to church, he got on a suit. I mean, the man, I, honest to God, I mean, I am saying to myself, well, what's the point, brother? What's the point? I went to preacher's church one day. And I just had on a shirt, a tie. And um, I preached the first message, preached the second message, and he didn't say much. But then his wife came to me and said, you need to wear a suit. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. So I did wear a suit the next three days. But um, call it women power. Women got a lot of power, man. <laughs> um, but my point is that it's difficult sometimes to move away from our cultural aspects. Number four. I think a, third, a fourth reason the Apostle Paul is dealing with this subject so exhaustively in chapter number four. And trying to use uh, Abraham as an exhibit. That I really believe that Paul honestly wanted to be able to preach the gospel to the Jews. Uh, so that they would come to faith. He wanted them to, to leave their Judaism. And he wanted them to come under the Christian faith. And he was anxious to help uh, them to also come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul knew one thing. The Jew had a huge problem. You know what that problem was? If you look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Just look there very quickly. Second Corinthians chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you. But I'll tell you exactly what the problem was. The problem with the Jews is that he completely misunderstood the whole message of the Old Testament. He read his Old Testament and he never once saw Christ. Never once. And you know why he never saw once? Paul says when they read the law they have a veil over their eyes. Look what Paul says in chapter 3 of, of Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15. He said, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is over their heart. It's as though they have a, a mental barrier, a blindness. They can't see. They're reading the law, but they can't see Christ. They're reading the prophets, but they can't see Christ. They're reading the Psalms, they can't see Christ. And the Apostle Paul knows that 
What he needs to do is to somehow remove that veil. But how do you remove the veil? Well, look at chapter 3, verse 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away with what? How, how is it done away? In Christ. Look also at verse number 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, what? The veil shall be what? Taken away. So here are the Jews and they've got this veil of unbelief. They cannot properly understand their old, old Testament because you can never understand the Old Testament without understanding it is completely Christocentric. Every single book in the Old Testament has a theme and that theme is Christ. Everyone. Whether by type or, or, or symbol or image or typology or character or direct prophecy, Christ is there. And if you don't find Christ in a book that you're reading, read it again. Read it again. See? If you find a judge, he's there because he's a judge. If you find a king, he's a king. That's why they, all of these are symbolic of him. And the problem with the Jews is that in spite of God giving them the law and giving them the prophets and giving them the Psalms, there's this veil over their eyes. And Paul knew one thing. If I'm going to remove that veil, because that veil is removed in Christ. Present Christ to them. And that's why Paul spends this amount of time in this passage uh, making sure clearly that this doctrine is clarified to the minds of his people because he not only wants to help those who already believe and are still struggling mentally of where does Christ fit in and where does Judaism fit in. And they have to, to where, where do these things mesh? Do I reject all of Judaism or can I embrace elements of Judaism and still be a follower of Christ? These are issues that they were faced with. But then there were Jews that were not saved and Paul knew they were in blindness or the veil and Paul needed to clarify this great doctrine of salvation to help them. But then let me offer you a fifth reason why I think the Apostle Paul spent so much exhaustive time trying to deal with this subject in, in chapter 4. You would have thought by the time you finish with chapter 3, you say, okay, Paul, you said enough. But Paul said, no, I haven't said enough. Here it is. I'm carrying it over to chapter 4. I hear the fifth reason. The Apostle Paul, once and forever, wants to abominate any part on any man to boast that he had anything to do with his salvation. And that is why he says in chapter number 4, uh, Romans chapter number 4, notice his words again. In verse 2. He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he had whereof to what? Glory, to boast. So if you're bringing the element of work into salvation... It emboldens man and appeals to man's pride so that man can boast. You know what you can boast? Say, well, you know what? They didn't believe, but I believe. The Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that his doctrine of salvation is designed not to elevate man and give man an injection of pride, but to humiliate man to the point where man realizes you have nothing to do with this salvation whatsoever. It is something that God has done for you. 
That's one of the biggest problems that we have in dealing with people to try to explain to them that salvation is just a gift. And all you need is the, 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 the hand of faith to take the gift. But it's all back. Listen, salvation is not in the hand. I hope you understand that. I, I keep saying that people got their faith in their faith. Salvation is not in the hand, which is the hand of faith. Salvation is in the gift that the hand takes. That's where salvation is. So the, you have an outstretched hand and here comes salvation. See? I hope you understand. Your faith is not in faith. Your faith is in Christ. That's salvation, sir. That's why when people ask about how much faith you've got. Listen, if you've got a faith of a, a grain of mustard seed. And that faith is in Jesus Christ. That faith can save. See? Because every one of us in here have got different levels of faith. So you want to tell me, what, what level of faith does a man get saved by? The fact is you must have faith. See? So I think the Apostle Paul wants to, to, to clearly... Uh, abominate any idea that a man can boast about the fact that he is saved, he's done anything to save his salvation. You know, we sing a song um, simply to the cross I cling, and then we also sing that one, There's nothing on my hand I bring. And we also sing that song, Thou must save and thou alone. See, see. there's nothing you can do when it comes to this great doctrine. Of salvation. So I believe that the Apostle Paul uh, is spending this time dealing with this doctrine in chapter 4 for those uh, five reasons that I just gave you uh, in this chapter. Now that brings me to what Paul does in this chapter. You notice in chapter number 4 that Paul picks up a character in the Bible called Abraham. And Paul said, I want to give you exhibit A. I've been discussing this whole matter of salvation with you. I've been reasoning with you. I've been marshalling my facts. I've been presenting the case. I've been teaching you abstractly what salvation is. Now, Paul, great teacher. No, you just can't deal with abstractions. You just can't deal with logic and reasoning when you're dealing with, with, with especially people who are, are struggling. So Paul said, all right, I want to now take an example from your faith to show you Exactly what I've been teaching you about salvation through faith and faith alone. And what Paul does in this chapter is that he chooses Abraham. Now I know you see David in there as well, the Psalm of David. But he's not using David as an example, he's using Abraham. He's just using what David said to support what the Bible says about Abraham. So he's using the psalmist as a support material. You remember in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus... We're told that every single matter is sealed. But for that matter to be sealed, you request what? Two or three witnesses. You need two or three credible witnesses to verify or vindicate or authenticate anything. And that is why now Paul is going to deal with uh, Abraham. He brings two credible witnesses to support what he says about Abraham. As I mentioned to you this morning... He's going to quote Moses. Moses who wrote the book of Genesis. And he's going to quote that Abraham believed God and it was counted. You know where that's found? Genesis chapter 15. So Paul is saying, look, hey, 
Moses wrote in Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham believed God and was counted him to righteousness. What I have been teaching you in chapter 3. I have been teaching you in, in, in chapter 3 that when you believe in Jesus Christ, righteousness is imputed to you. So Moses supports what I told you. And then he goes into the Psalms and they quote David. And David talks about blessed the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. And you remember why David is saying that? I, I preached on chapter 30, 32, uh, I think two Sunday nights ago. Last Sunday I think it was. Uh, about uh, the whole matter of what I preach on. Guilt. You got a good mind. I dealt with guilt in chapter 32. I think it was that last Sunday night. But you remember it was chapter 32 that they used for David. Now David is under so much guilt because of the sin with Bathsheba. But yet in Psalm chapter 32, he says, the, the man is happy to whom God will not put iniquity towards his account, but will impute to the account righteousness. And so what, what, what Paul is doing now, you see, look at David. He is saying the same thing I'm saying to you, that God imputes righteousness and does not impute iniquity. So he uses these two people to, to support the argument here in terms of justification by faith. But here's a question. Why do you suppose the Apostle Paul, in selecting a, a, an exhibit, an example of what it means to be justified by faith, why do you suppose that the Apostle Paul chooses Abraham above all others? Why? Now, the Apostle Paul does nothing by accident. Paul is a master thinker. He is a kind of a person that is very careful in terms of how he writes. He's very, very sequential, very, very logical, and very selective in the material that he uses. And when you think of the fact that he would choose Abraham, uh, there must be a reason why he chooses Abraham. Well, remember that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. Remember that out of Abraham's loins that came the Jewish people. That he is the progenitor of all Jews. Remember that Abraham is called the friend of God. Remember that Abraham is the one that God first promised outside the Garden of Eden. That the seed would come. So he chooses Abraham because really to fact this doctrine of salvation really began with Abraham. It's interesting by the way that in Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 to 13 to 16 when Paul talks about that God has promised to Abraham a seed. Paul makes an interesting statement in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 16. Paul made a whole doctrine over plural, a singular. Paul said, do you realize that he did not say seeds, but seed, who is Christ? You see how important it is to understand what we believe in what's called the verbal inspiration of the Bible? That not just the thoughts of the Bible are inspired, but the words are inspired. See? The very words. So Abraham is not only the progenitor of the nation, but he's also the one to whom God gave the seed of the Messiah, the promise that he would come. But here's another thing. Abraham is the one that circumcision began with. So here are the Jews wondering, do we need to be circumcised now to be saved? And Paul is going to show them in this chapter... That Abraham was saved 14 years before he was circumcised. Yes, See? Yes. That's the important why he brings in this. Because in the back of Paul's mind, he's got to rip two things apart. 
circumcision and the law. If he can rip those apart and undermine those two things, the Jews could come to a full understanding of salvation apart from circumcision, apart from the law. So he goes back to Abraham because it's important for him in, in arguing his case that he can use Abraham with whom circumcision began, but who was saved before he was circumcised. So according to the historical data, uh, Abraham was saved before he was circumcised. Look with me to the book of um, Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Verse number 6. Well, look at verse number five, first of all. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards heavens and tell the stars, if thou art able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he what? Believed the Lord. And he what? He counted him to him. Now that's in chapter 15. Now if you go to chapter 17, you'll find that's when Abraham was first given the covenant of circumcision. So 14 years. Before Abraham was circumcised, God had imputed righteousness to Abraham because of his faith that the seed was coming. See Paul's argument? It's not by accident the Apostle Paul is doing this. You'll find later on in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 17 that Paul is also going to show that the law came 430 years. After Abraham. So Abraham was saved 430 years before the law came. 40 years before circumcision. 430 years before the law. So Paul is saying now. So where's your argument now Jews? Why do you think you need to hold on to circumcision? Why do you think you need the law to save you? If Abraham was saved before circumcision. And before the law. And we all saved the same way. How then you bring in the law in? I wish the seven day Adventist was here. Because they put so much, so much of their entire doctrine on observing the Sabbath. When you think of Sabbath day Adventism, you don't think of Christ, you think of the Sabbath. Because their whole system, their whole superstructure is based on law keeping. And especially that central thing called the Sabbath. To the Seventh day Adventists, if I keep the Sabbath, I am okay. But could I say to any Seventh-day Adventist, you can never keep the Sabbath of God intended to keep it. Never. Because not only you had to keep it, you had to make sure anybody that is by your home to keep the Sabbath too. And you can't drive to church because you're lighting the fire. You couldn't light a fire then. I don't Sabbath keeping. So the idea that my whole life revolves around keeping a day, you can't even keep that day. And by the way, even if you could keep the Sabbath, if any man offend in one part of the law, he's guilty of all. So you're going down the street now and you saw a, a lady and you lost after her. So what happened now? You broke the whole law. See, I cannot understand the logic of anybody depending on keeping the law to get them into heaven or to save them. See? But that's why Paul is trying to demolish this because this is what the Jews were holding on to. And Paul has to rip that apart to show that he was saved before circumcision 
And he was saved before the law. One year, 14 years before, 430 years before. So there's no need for this matter. The problem with the Jews, of course, is that generally speaking, they believe that Abraham, the rabbinical writers, thought that Abraham was justified because of his own righteousness. That's what the people were taught. Um, and the reason why they were taught that, by the way, is because they took certain scriptures and twisted certain scriptures like it's done today. Taking it out of context and twisted. For example, let me give you some of the scriptures that we use. Look at, Gal- at um, Genesis chapter 26 for just a moment. This is one of the scriptures the rabbinical teachers would use to show to the Jews that Abraham was not saved by faith. He was saved by his good works. In Genesis chapter 26 verse 4 and, four and 5. Verse 4, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Notice verse 5, because that Abraham what? Obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. They say, aha, you see that? You see that? Why did God bless Abraham? Why did he get up? Because look, he obeyed the law, he obeyed the commandments, he that is taken out of context. Paul isn't quoting that. Paul is quoting chapter 15. This is now chapter 26. But you see, when I take a passage out of context, and I abuse that text, and I don't look at what came before, I can be persuaded that this is exactly why Abraham was justified. The Jews said, aha, you see, it was his obedience to the commandments, obedience to the law. But in chapter 26, he was justified when? In chapter 15. That's exactly what cults do. They seize on the passage of scripture, they rip it out of context, then they distort it. And people find themselves in trouble because they quote some verse. What you need to do is to read what comes before and what comes after and put it in its context. And it brings great clarity in this matter. Another passage that they use is Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8 where Abraham is called a friend of God. Did you say, uh-huh? You see, we see why Abraham was saved because he was a friend of God. And of course, Amos said, can two walk together unless they be agreed? So uh, uh, Abraham was always in agreement with God. So God saved him. Works. Again, taken out of context. But the text that the Jews abused most was Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 where it says, the just shall live by what? Faith. You know how they interpret the word faith? The just shall live by faithfulness. That's how they interpret that verse. So they say, now you see, Abraham was made just because Abraham was faithful. He faithfully followed the Lord. He faithfully served the Lord. Again, taken out of context and abuse. I want to quote you two apocryphal books written by the Jews. Now the apocryphal books are the books that occur between the New Testament and the Old Testament. They're books that are written in between there. The Catholics have put 14 into, the, into their Bible called the Apocrypha. Those are books that are written between the Old Testament and New. The 400 years of silence is when those books are written. I want to give you an idea of, of how the Jews viewed Abraham. And I want to quote from a book called Ecclesiasticus 
It's called, or the wisdom of Sirach. And um, this is where they said in chapter 44, verse 9, they said that Abraham became righteous because of his obedience. This is what the Jews were taught. Again, it's a matter of works. It's a matter of I doing something. Abraham only became righteous because he obeyed God. If he did not obey God, he could not have been righteous. He would not have righteousness. You know, there's still people who believe that. There are still people today who are not too sure if they're saved or not saved because they're wondering how much they've done. How much they've obeyed. They can't enjoy the Christian life because everything depends on how much they have done. They don't have any joy. They don't have any assurance because it's how much they've done. The most miserable life to live. That's like me getting up every morning wanting my daddy, my daddy. You know? Did I please my daddy enough to be my, my, my daddy, you know? So I must keep pleasing my daddy in order for him to be my daddy. You know? Imagine living a life, but that's how a lot of Christians live. Believe it or not. See? And that's why they're so miserable. They haven't settled down and understand that God has taken care. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, God has taken care of your sins, past, present, and future. So you don't, you don't have to worry. You know, what I'm saying to you is, we should be concerned about how we live. I'm not saying we shouldn't be. But we shouldn't be wondering, am I saved today because of what I did, did yesterday? That's not how God intended us to live. Imagine living in a home and every day you get it one way. I belong to this home. I belong to this family. Now imagine, imagine every single day you get up. And the moment you do something wrong, you think daddy's going to disown me. Mommy's going to disown me. Man, I would never even do that. I'm a human being. See? My children would always be my children. Now they might do the worst things in the world, but they're still my kids. Still my kids. I would still always want my best for them, no matter what they do. They could cuss me, they could kill me, they could do anything. Even in the grave, I still want the best for them. Because they're my kids. Now, if I feel that way, multiply that how God looks at his children then. I don't want to get off on this thing. That's why you have a problem with this out of darkness doctrine. In the book of Jubilee, this is what they said in the book of, this is another book of an apocryphal book, but this is a Jewish book between it. This is what he said. He said, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and was well pleasing in his righteousness all the days of his life. Abraham was perfect. <laughs> Now, do you know how I know that's wrong? Look with me at Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua is going off the scene and he is reciting the history of Israel. And he's warning them to stay with God and don't go after idols. But he makes one of the more shocking statements in Joshua chapter 24 in verse number 2. Look what he says. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the old time, even Terah, 
the father of Abraham and the father of Nicor, and they were served what? Abraham was an idolater before God called him. But that's not what the Jews thought. Abraham was perfect in all his days. The Apostle Paul realizes he has a battle on his hand. And he wants to bring clarity to this matter. And he's deeply concerned about his own people. Those who are already in the faith. And those who are struggling to come into the faith. And Paul wants to remove all these barriers. And the only way he can remove these barriers. Is to show the Jew that what I'm teaching you. What I'm telling you is not something new. It's in line with your own scriptures. And here are two witnesses to prove it. You honor Moses who gave you the law. I'll quote him. You honor your great psalmist David. The great king. Your military hero, your champion. I want to quote him as well. Now, are you telling me that if Moses said this and David said this, are you going to you going to disagree with me now, even though that they support exactly what I'm saying to you? He's using skill and cleverness in trying to confirm to them that this doctrine is absolutely correct. I want to close this morning as an introduction by just saying this. Confusion that the Jews had that having come to faith, they still wanted to hold on to these appendages. They wanted the Christ, they want circumcision, they want the law. They felt if they didn't have circumcision, they didn't have the law, they weren't saved. You know, today we have a similar problem. I'm serious. Today we have a lot of people who want to hold on to Christ and two things baptism and the church. They feel that if they're not baptized, if they don't belong to the church, that they're not saved. As a matter of fact, they have displaced Christ to the point where they depend upon their baptism and depend on the church. So while the Jews might have had a problem back then with the law and with circumcision, the problem still exists by parallel and by analogy today. That people are still holding on not only to Christ, but they're holding on to their baptism and holding on to the church. There are some people today, by the way, that if you ask them, are you a Christian? The first thing they'll tell you, yeah, I got baptized. There are some people that if you ask them, are you a Christian? Yeah, I belong to the church. They've completely missed the whole thing. See? That's the problem Paul has to deal with in chapter 4. And that's the kind of problem that we have to deal with. What we have to do is to give complete clarity to this great doctrine. When we surrender our understanding of the doctrine of salvation, everything collapses and we go back into the dark ages. So the Apostle Paul is tedious, careful, thoughtful to try to bring clarity to this matter. And he will do that in chapter 4 when we examine the case of Abraham. Now we'll pick up um, that and we'll look at the, the chapter and see exactly what Paul teaches in this matter. But I just thought that uh, I needed to at least introduce you to this subject so that when we go into chapter 4, the background has already been laid to understand what Paul teaches about Abraham in this chapter. Let's have a word of prayer. Be sure that you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the religious confusion about this doctrine of justification by faith alone, both in history and in the world today. 
If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.